Nerd Banter with Boreal Bruce, episode 28. It's uh, shocking to me that the last, uh, it's already been a month since our last podcast, which was on March the 5th, and uh, here on the banks of the Blanche River, uh, there's been quite a few changes in the bird populations as spring is arriving. Uh, we seem to have lost our evening and pine grosbeaks, which are migrating back north. And in their place, we've already had uh, American robins, sandhill cranes. Uh, today, I was very excited to um, just traveling to the dump. I, I encountered a snowy owl, which uh, that was exciting. And also, um, uh, there was a pair of sandhill cranes that were actually on our concession road. So it was so things are on the move. This is always our most exciting time of the year. And um, by the time of our next podcast, we'll be updating people on all the amazing arrivals so getting right to we have quite a few things to talk about um when i was uh last podcast we were talking about our snow bunting banding and as of march the 15th this year we had banded 280 snow buntings and uh the snow buntings were in uh it was kind of interesting because they were lots of small flocks Uh, normally we would see very large flocks of snow buntings but uh, throughout the winter, there were numerous small flocks, but um, and then all of a sudden, uh, we started getting uh, we started getting lots of birds, and we're now at uh, we've banded twenty two hundred snow buntings, which is a new record for the marsh. And uh, there were some days that we were banding up to one hundred and eighty snow buntings, so it was it's been spectacular. Uh, it's been uh, we've been quite busy. There's been lots of people helping out, and um, so. Uh, the excitement about catching that many snow buntings is that um, just the a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the co-founders of the uh, snow bunting banding network, uh, Rick Ludkin, was visiting um, people in Labrador and Newfoundland uh, to train them to start catching snow buntings. So, the uh, which is very exciting because uh, the snow buntings seem to use uh, Labrador and Newfoundland as a jumping off place to get to Baffin Island and into Greenland, uh, which some of, there's been some uh, snow buntings that people were able to take pictures of at their feeder. Um, and those, um, w- because those birds had uh, bands on them and from taking multiple pictures, they were able to find the band number, which uh, would be a lot of patience and dedication. But, and, and those birds were originally banded in uh, the Guelph area. So, with us getting all those bands on birds, we'll have, um, and uh, Aldo Leopold described um, banning a bird is like having a lottery ticket in the most amazing uh, lottery ever. So uh, if some of our birds show up in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, we'll definitely be doing a happy dance and uh, we'll be uh, communicating uh, our joy about uh, one of our bunting showing up there. The um, we are just uh, I'm recently back from the Ontario Bird Banding Association annual general meeting and conference, and it was um, it was fantastic. There were lots of great topics, and uh, it was nice to be able to see people that we haven't seen um, the past years due to COVID, and uh, lots of exciting ideas were exchanged. And um, I, I did want to note that. Um, there's an award that's given out every year called the Jeanette Dean Award. And the recipient of the Jeanette Dean Award this year was a, a fellow named Bill Reed. And uh, Bill uh, established the uh, Eastern Bluebird uh, 
Association uh, of Ontario, and he um, recently banded his 10,000th Eastern Bluebird, which is amazing. And uh, it was it was neat because Bill was um, did a, a talk on um, his research, and part part of his research was they were establishing um, uh, tree swallow boxes, and um, sorry, blue, <laughs> bluebird and tree swallow boxes, uh, right near orchards, and so they were able to um, ban quite a number of uh, bluebirds, and I think it was the University of Guelph was doing some testing on on the uh, young and adult birds to establish if any of the um, uh, fungicides and pesticides were being transferred into the birds. And it seems that they weren't, which was, um, which was very encouraging work, especially when uh, we think back to the application of DDT in the past and how that was went through the food chain. So, so that was uh, some fantastic work that, uh, that Bill's done. And I just wanted to, uh, to, Give a shout out to Bill and all the great work that he's done uh, over the past with bluebirds. And he's also, I can't remember the number, but I know he's done a significant number of uh, tree swallows as well. So uh, the bird boxes that are built are used either by bluebirds and tree swallows. So um, so both are, are great to bend and to see um, how they're doing in terms of um, conservation. Um the other thing that I, I wanted to get to is to um, to let everybody know that uh, we we're really excited that we were able to f um, hire as our bender in charge a lady by the name of uh, Ray Zaman, and she hails from uh, Tommy Thompson Park um, and the Tommy Thompson Bird Observatory, which is the uh, Leslie Street Spit in Toronto. And uh, Ray actually helped us uh, last year when. Uh, we had the Ontario field ornithologist coming to the marsh. So she was here and, um, and uh, she was very excited because her and her husband, Paul, were able to ban some boreal chickadees. So we're very excited to um, hire Ray and we're looking forward to, uh, to a fantastic spring. Um, shortly, um, just a short while ago, uh, I can't remember the date, but uh, maybe perhaps two weeks ago we had... Uh, a group from Autism Ontario that uh, were visiting the marsh, uh, and that was uh, that was fantastic. We had uh, we had a morning session and an afternoon session, and uh, one of the kids actually has renamed one of our uh, one of our traps. We have a trap that we call the J trap um, because the funnels that enter the trap are in the shape of a J, and the J trap is very difficult trap to describe because it's big enough that people actually walk into the trap. Um, so, and as soon as I say J trap, people have the expectation that we're going to catch blue jays. So recently I've been referring to the trap as the thing. And, uh, one of the caps, one of the kids, um, when he saw the trap renamed it for us and he called it the bird trap, eco trap 2000. So to make it a little more current, we're calling it the, uh, bird trap, eco trap 2020. And, uh, anyway, so it was, it was glorious. The kids were awesome. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, having them back again next year. Uh, one of the, the next things I wanted to talk about is um, we talked uh, in the last podcast, we were talking about uh, modus tags. And um, I was listening to Nate Swick, who does a podcast for the American Birding Association. And uh, he, he's quite uh, smooth. His podcasts are amazing. And um, I gleaned a, a few things uh, about um, 
about migration that I never knew before um, from his podcast. And I, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I, I, I didn't know any anything about this, but there's, um, there is a, there was a lot of confusion about what was happening to birds back in the, well, pre 1800s. And, um, and there was a, a field stork that was, um, basically this field stork, uh, was shot by a guy in Germany, um, back in, I'm trying to remember, it was in 1822, a fellow by the name of Christian Ludwig van Boffmer, and he shot, um, this field stork that was on his property, and the field stork had a spear in it, which, uh, which, uh, which was amazing. And, and so he took it to uh, a friend who was uh, a professor and the friend verified that the spear was from Africa. And so they had, they had a number of very interesting ideas about what was happening. Um, they didn't realize that birds were migrating back in the day. There was all sorts of interesting stories that they thought um, birds would hibernate in the mud of rivers and lakes. Some people thought they turned into mice or frogs. Um, there is a group of monks that um, thought that the birds uh, would change into the mass of ships and uh, allowing them to make the claim that they were vegetarians um, so or vegetables because they turned into a tree, uh, which was uh, worked out well for the monks because they could eat uh, various species of ducks um, and uh, during times where they had to fast and feel like they weren't uh, breaking that rule. So, um, so it was interesting that... Um, the, the next thing that happened in the whole trying to figure out the migration is a fellow by the name of Johannes Temo uh, was tagging, uh, put rings on 2,000 European storks uh, with uh, aluminum rings. And on the, on the rings, he put on his, his address. So from 1908 to 1913, he was able to, uh, so he, he, put, he put those rings on and 178 rings showed up and 48 of them uh, were from Africa. So it started to, to teach people about migration, which leads us to uh, MODIS. And uh, Nate made the uh, observation that it's, if, a, if a bird could uh, migrate with a, with a uh, three-yard sphere, uh, that it would be... Um, Putting a modus tag or a little nano tag on a bird is uh, is not um, a very onerous thing for them to be carrying around. So, so when when I was talking about modus, um, I'd like to do a little follow up to that. I was had a conversation with Dr. David Brinker, who is the person who started up um, uh, Project Alnet. So that's the uh, cooperative group of people throughout uh, North America that are banding sawed owls, and uh, I was asking him what we could do with the um, with our $5,000 in funding that we have for the modus tags. And he was suggesting that they're, they're going to be putting 200 modus tags on Sawitz in 2024. So I think we're probably going to be joining with that research. And um, it'll, be, it'll be great because our, out of that 5,000, it appears that we're only going to be able to get 14 tags. Um, so it's a, a very modest... Um, amount of tags we're going to be able to add to their research. But um, but I think that would be amazing to see, um, to be part of that uh, that project. Um, the nice part of that too is that uh, the, those folks will be crunching all the data. So we don't need to, uh, to worry about um, that side of the research. 
Um, so, uh, but still, I have this feeling that I'd, I'd like to uh, hold back a couple of uh, tags and put them on kestrels. So um, that's just, uh, and one of the things, if you go to the uh, Modus Wildlife Tracking website, you can look up uh, how many tags have been put on what species. And I was noting that there's only been 14 um, tags put on kestrels. So to have a kestrel tagged all the way up here in northeastern Ontario, uh, the potential for that to add to our uh, another piece to the migration puzzle, I think, would be um, would be great. Um, the other thing on Nate's podcast uh, was he was um, he interviewed um, a lady by the name of Holly. Um, Meeker, who was recently awarded uh, the ABA Award for Education and Conservation. Um, and she was talking about something that, um, that I thought was, uh, was really interesting. And she was talking about um, something that's called ornotherapy. And ornotherapy, as it suggests, the name suggests, is, um, uh, is uh, being in nature with birds and the birds being part of um, um, therapy and people's overall sense of well-being. The term was first used in the British Journal of Medicine in 1979. Um, and um, one of the, the ideas is that it's, it's showing that over time, there's a, a big recognition that ornotherapy is proven and can actually replace the need for medications for people. Um, and it, um, one of the neat twists about this ornotherapy is that it leads to conservation. Um, because if, if birds are good for us, then it just makes sense that we would want to take care of birds more, um, recognizing that that's um, so it's, it's, it's actually good for both of us. But uh, the other thing that she was talking about is that birding um, can be intentional. And she wrote a book called Ornotherapy, Mind, Body and Soul. And it's the idea that now people um, may include birding just as they would um, if they were um, if they would uh, be concerned about their diet or getting exercise, that birding might be something that people might want to consider as just being um, being good for them. And um, it just uh, I just thought it was um, a really interesting idea because um, uh, we, we've also we've always um, one thing at the marsh that we're always trying to encourage is um, for people to get up close to nature. And uh, one of the things that we do is we allow um, kids uh, that are 10 and over a chance to hold birds so making that connection um, I think is is fantastic and it even made me think of the uh, kids those autistic kids that were at the marsh recently and they just seemed to um, be so thrilled to be up and close to nature and uh, so I so I think it's uh, so I think it's these are all uh, really interesting ideas and, and one of the things in the interview that they were talking about is that, um, and I've, I've seen this myself, that often um, people seem to be embarrassed to admit that they birdwatch. Um, because, um, and I often will talk to, um, there'll be husbands that will explain all the stuff about birds, but they will say that it's not, they're not really the birders, it's their wives that are the birders in the family. But it's, uh, but I think uh, they, they also noted that things are changing and that it seems that, um, um, people are um, starting to be a, a little bit, they don't mind people uh, knowing that they're birders. And, I, and, and I've, I've been seeing that as well, that people seem to be um, uh, more uh, 
proud that they're birders and and uh they were commenting too that there seem to be more and more people that are there's rather there's more and more commercials that have birds and more ads that have birds in them so there seems to be this cultural shift uh that is happening so if this uh, ornotherapy is part of this uh trend um it's it, it's only really positive stuff that's uh that's coming up relating to birding so i i probably nate would be probably uh cringing at my description of the interview but it was really uh, quite good and that um interview i wrote it down here somewhere that interview was on uh the aba podcast february 9th 2023 um and uh, i would definitely encourage uh people to um to check that out the other thing um they were talking about is, is that um um she has um, developed a something called the Frontiers in Burning Symposium, and that is to encourage people to uh, young people um, to learn about the different pathways to um, bird watching and science. Um, they have it's kind of neat. They it's going to be in November, um, and there's uh, two youth keynote speakers. Um, it's definitely, as I mentioned, so the, the target group for that are people that are uh, kids that are 13 to college age. And it's, um, it sounds great. Um, they also, uh, um, the, just find uh, her name again, Holly Meeker, uh, was also uh, very active in bird camps. There's a camp that I've always been curious um, called, uh, there's a bird camp on Hogs Island, which is a major migratory stop. And um, and one of the things that we offered last summer at the marsh uh, was a was a bird camp, and that's something. And we we actually referred to them our uh, our bird that we use on our t-shirt is the common yellowthroat, which um, has a black mask, so it kind of looks like a bandit. Um, so we refer to them as the uh, the marsh bandits, and uh, so that's that camp is going to be running again this summer. So we're looking forward to having um people out and it's just uh one one of the things that's um a real joy at the marsh is encouraging um young kids to get interested in birding and um that's something that um we're, we're definitely always working on at the marsh well, one thing that i forgot to mention when i was talking about the ontario bird banding association meeting is um uh, after COVID, they tried to catch up on the number of um, journals that they do. So um, part of the, uh, so being a member of the Ontario Bird Banding Association, you get uh, a journal and the journal outlines the different successes of bird banding in Ontario. And we always go to the journal to see how many birds the various stations banded as well as the diversity um, so to see the number of species that they got as well so um, I know this uh, sounds like I'm bragging and I probably am uh, but uh, sometimes people say it's, you need to toot your own horn every now and then and I was actually quite shocked to discover that the Hillierton Marsh uh, banded the most birds in 2018 and 2019 and uh, second place in 2018 was Tommy Thompson, uh, Bird Observatory. And in 2019, it was Prince Edward Point Bird Observatory. And then in 2020, um, Prince Edward Point had the most birds with uh, 13,440. 
and the marsh came in second place that year with 8960 uh so that was but that was the um uh a covid year and uh that, so that's in our defense that uh, and so I was I was talking to Joe and about it and saying that um, you know how wonderful we are as a banding station uh, we always know that we have high volume but she um, she she made me humble very quickly when she pointed out that um, a lot of these banding stations uh, don't band year-round um, so uh, so just thinking about this year, the fact that we've done 2,200 snow buntings, these other stations um, wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that. So, um, And the other thing that uh, has happened is I'm not quite sure why this happened, because usually Long Point Bird Observatory uh, outbands all of those stations by a significant amount. And for whatever reason, they decided to... So they, they operate three distinct stations. They have... Um, something called the tip, which is points out into um, Lake Erie. Uh, they have another station called Breakwater, and then a station where most people um, go to is a station called Old Cut. Um, both stations, Breakwater and the tip, you ha you can only access by boat, and Old Cut, you can drive right up to it. So that's the station that most of the public see. And so they broke they broke down their numbers into those three distinct stations. So um that would be the only reason why the marsh could uh be able to uh claim that we banded the most birds in ontario so uh so a big uh, pat on the back for all the volunteers and all the folks that helped out with all the various projects of our our banding station and um yeah i never never occurred to me that we would be catching more birds than any other station in the province and um and i won't let that go to my head too much and we'll uh we'll see how we end up doing um in the spring migration so uh looking forward to that and we'll have much more to report on the spring on our next podcast happy birding i don't say happy birding what do i say i usually say bird's the word yeah what are we doing bird is the word <laughs> Don't say it. <laughs> <laughs>